Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Equalizer Project. I am Brenda Ross Doolin, your host. Today, I am absolutely thrilled to have a conversation with my dear friend, Lena Kennedy. She is the founder of LL Kennedy and Associates and an expert on community engagement and political strategies. Though we met over 25 years ago when I was living in LA, I can still say that when you meet her for the first time, you feel like you've known her for years. And honestly, to know her is to love her. This veteran community and political strategist is considered one of the most influential conduits from Sacramento, California to Washington, DC. Lena's career as a community builder and strategic consultant began over 30 years ago when she assisted with the fundraising and campaign activities for then Los Angeles Mayor Tom Bradley for governor of California. Since then, she has worked with numerous candidates and elected officials, including President Barack Obama, Congresswoman Diane Watson, Debbie Wasserman Schultz, Judy Chu, Maxine Waters, and Karen Baz, as well as Congressman Adam Schiff. Most recently, Lena was appointed National Vice Chair of the Democratic National Committee. Born and raised in Pasadena, California, Lena was inspired by her mother, Leola Kennedy, who said, everyone is of value and the contribution of each person makes our country and our community stronger. With her extraordinary experience, which includes over 38 years of working with numerous corporate executives, city government, and local state and federal elected officials, Lena has touched over 32,000 people in her Southern California Women's Health Conference, as well as in her role as CEO of Women in Leadership Vital Voices, an organization that seeks to make its members the most informed women in the United States about public policy, politics, and how they both really work. Please join me in welcoming Lena. So hello, Lena. I can't even begin to tell you how thrilled I am to see you. Uh, thank you so much for joining us for the Equalizer Project uh, podcast. I've spent, uh, as you've heard, a few minutes just talking about your amazing background and the impact that you've had on so many people, but I do want to step back and give you a chance to talk a little bit about yourself. Well, that's sometimes hard to do, and I'm trying to get better at that to articulate who I am and why I do what I do. And one of the quotes that I always think about is in this life journey, I think about how limited our time is. Steve Jobs had a quote that said, your time is limited, so don't waste it living someone else's life. And that's how I try to live my life. I try to take advantage of all that God has given me. I try to pour into other people because our time is so limited on this planet earth. 
-hmm. And it has touched me in a very personal way with the loss of a sister and a brother, a sister at 56 and a brother at 59. And I'm in my 60s and pray to God that I'm here. Wow. But in, 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 in the scheme of things, whether you're here 100 years, it's still a limited amount of time on planet Earth. And so we have to pour into other people. And I spent a lot of time trying to pour into other people and invest my talent skills and identify what can keep our society moving in a way that will have a change, whether it's incremental or not. So that's who I am. I believe that life is a beautiful, beautiful platform that's been granted to us. And we have to make it as many flowers as we possibly can. I come from a family of 10, uh, 12, if you include my mother and father, and we lived in a small house in Pasadena. And we are staples of Pasadena, California, because we've yes. been here all of our life. And we just- yes, you um, are. <laughs> and so, you know, we went through the public school system and some of my siblings went to private colleges, but growing up, we all went through the public school system. And then I went on to Pasadena City College and then I uh, went on to UCLA and, and here I am just doing what I'm doing and I continue to educate myself. I believe that life is a platform to continue to, you should always be trying to improve your life and educate yourself and learn new things and, and make a difference in other people's lives. So I'm an avid learner. I'm always trying to gain more knowledge in various skills. I'm a person that looks at who's doing it well, then I may reinvent it for myself, but you don't have to reinvent everything because there's nothing new under the sun. I don't know if that's what you wanted, Brenda, but that's kind of who I am. Well, I wanted the authentic Lena, and that is exactly what I got. I, I will tell you, as someone who's known you over 20 years, um, when people describe you, it's interesting. They, they don't start with what you do. They do start with who you are. So if that was your intention is to start with who am I and then uh, talk about what you do for a living, you certainly mm -hmm. have accomplished that. Oh, thank you. I, so Lena, um, one of the things that, that you have done so masterfully is that you have carved out this space where you work with corporate women to ensure that they are uniquely positioned to deal with uh, public policy, politics, um, and community-related issues so that they uh, can be the best leaders in their corporations and, and in society. In 2020, uh, for example, there was this really, really big push to get more women into elected office. Uh, but your focus in politics has been slightly different. Uh, yours has been around political and community astuteness for women. Talk about what that, that difference might be. I think one goes into the other. My focus is we, we have a group called Women in Leadership Vital Voices. And I started that group because particularly for women of color, 
I started this group because I wanted to see more Black people at the table. I've been helping elected officials get elected since I was 18 years old, so for many, many years. And I was just doing it because it was the right thing to do from my perspective. I felt that if you want to bring about change, you have to be about the process of being engaged in change, and you can't just complain. So my father taught me early on, there was an earthquake in the 70s, and we in Pasadena, we're one city, but we're several different silos within that one city. And right. I went to my dad and I said, they cleaned up Lucy's neighborhood, and they haven't cleaned up our neighborhood from the earthquake. And I said, why is that? He said, that's a decision made by local government. And I said, well, we, we need to do something about it. He said, well, you need to do something about it. He said, you can go talk to them. Mm. So I went to City Hall and I went to a council meeting. There was a man that heard me speak. After I spoke, he came to me and he said, very passionate, very good, but you need to be involved in structure so that your voice is really heard and carried forward. So from early on, I've been engaged and involved, but what I found from my involvement was that I oftentimes didn't see a lot of people of color at the decision-making table. Just in the arenas that I was in, I didn't see a lot of people of color. And particularly when we moved on to national decision-making politics. And so in 2000, I said to um, Tipper Gore, I was at a meeting and I said to her, I said, you're having this event. I said, but what about all the people that, all the women, that you need to talk to that are not here and you're talking about impacting. I said, none of them have gone through the struggles that mm. you're talking about making a difference at. And I said, there are, you're talking about impacting women of color, education, um, the lack of education for those that are marginalized, but you're not talking to the decision maker or those that are in the trenches. And how can you make a difference if you're not including them? And so one of the women said to me, well, if they pay the $10,000, they could be at this table. And so I didn't respond to that. I looked at Tipper Gore and I said, would you be willing to come to something I put together that people do not have to pay that, but they have the brain power and they can contribute, but not at that level. And she said, absolutely. Mm. So I kept pushing and pushing and pushing to get more people of color at the table. And I decided that I would put together a group of women. And again, my focus was on women of color, but it's, you know, when you're talking about impacting women, all women are included. Mm -hmm. And so I wanted to bring these women to the table, but I wanted to put them in the face of, this, of people that were making decisions. So I created this group of women and I had uh, someone from the DNC come, someone from the Republican party come and talk and those that wanted to do and go volunteer wherever they wanted to in the, um, it, was a, it was a presidential election. They could volunteer at the convention. And I continued that process, but what I found out, there are a lot of women that are registered to vote. Mm -hmm. Millions of women are registered to vote and do not go to the polls and vote. Wow. Then when you talk about getting involved in running for office, there are some brilliant, smart women. I mean, they're so brilliant and they want to run for office and they've thought about running for office.
but they look at the obstacles that are before them and it's a deterrent. So I decided, let me educate women on public policy, bring decision makers to the table. Let's provide the tools that they need so that they can understand the infrastructure of how it works so that if they decide to run for office, they will understand all the components that are required. And you can do that in a very subtle way without saying, okay, you're going to a workshop on how to run for office. That's fine. And there's a lot of many, many organizations that are doing that. I leave that to them to do that. I'm focusing on the confidence of the person and how you build relationships because everything in life is about relationships. And what we do with Women in Leadership Vital Voices, we bring stakeholders to the table. We talk about policy issues. We also support various candidates based on our level of interest in them. And when we support them, we support them not just with resources of money, but resources of time, expertise. We travel to different states. We do all that's required for someone to have a successful outcome when we get involved. Why do we do that? What is the best way to learn is to actually do. So mm -hmm. when a tutor is teaching, they get they their skills are are, are getting are sharpening because they're teaching. And so when we're doing, we're teaching people what we know, we're teaching each other, we're giving up our time and talents, and then we're understanding what it really takes because they're in the trenches working with these elected officials or these candidates running for office. And they're really seeing what they do well, what it takes to win and what it, what if what they don't do well and what happens when they lose. And so subconsciously, they're learning all these incredible skills. And I'm proud to announce that one of our members is running for office now, Janet Braun. Wow. Running for office. But she has been in the trenches working on national campaigns, local campaigns, and with been within our group and just understanding all what it takes to run for office. So our focus is not on getting more women to run for office. Our focus is on educating women. So if they decide to run for office, mm -hmm. they understand what it takes to run a successful campaign so that they end up being the winner sitting at the, the decision-making table. So it's a slightly different way. And a lot of these women are involved in corporate America. CEOs are top executives, chairman of boards, have their own large companies. By them being a part of Women in Leadership Vital Voices, what happens is not only is it we're driven by policy, it helps us have discussions and conversations around how employees are treated. Mm. You know, sometimes, and this is just life, sometimes we have incredible people that are great philanthropists and do a lot of good work. Mm -hmm. And these are things that I've seen, and these are tough conversations to have. But sometimes right within your own company and your own structure, you need to stop and take a look. Am I being fair to my team members, my staff, my employees? Am mm -hmm. I setting them up for success? Mm -hmm. Am I looking at the low hanging fruit and making sure that they get to the top of the tree? Am I really creating a pathway? And so as we work within Women in Leadership Vital Voices and we talk about policy, Yes, policy with politicians, but policy within our own structure. 
our own companies, our own corporations. Our group helps us look internally because it always looks good when we're doing stuff for the outside world, giving mm -hmm. millions of dollars within our philanthropic work, uh, supporting different organizations. But what are we doing internally? Mm -hmm. And so we really, really, really try to look at things from a holistic perspective. We right. even look at things within our personal lives. Mm -hmm. Our group is very diverse, very diverse group of women. And by being a part of our group, we look within our personal lives and say, mm, do I have any white friends in my personal life? Do I have any black friends in my personal life? Do I have any Asian friends in my personal life? Because it's easy for us to live in our silos. Right. It's easy for me to have a party with just my black friends. It's so easy, but it takes a little bit more work to develop external relationships that people don't look like me. Well, that's what public policy is about. When those elected officials are in Washington, DC, are in our various states, they have to be able to work with everyone. We look at it from a holistic perspective without saying that's what we're doing. We just do it organically and it's, um, and then we get to be honest with each other because our space is a space where we right. just try to undergird each other and give and help each of us to be the best person that we can be while we're here on this planet Earth. Absolutely. And what I, I love about what you said and what you always say is it always goes back to purpose, right? Mm -hmm. It's about what, who we're trying to be. Mm -hmm. And then what we do mm -hmm. is influenced by who we're trying to be and what impact we're trying to have. What came up for me uh, also is this whole idea of blind spots. And one of the things that I talk a lot about with executives and CEOs is the idea of understanding that you do have blind spots mm -hmm. and that if you don't first of all, recognize that you have a blind spot and find ways to address those blind spots, then you cannot really make uh, great decisions. Can you talk in this sort of holistic approach that you have in Women in Leadership Vital Voices? Is there an example of where someone says, you know what, there's something that I learned that I didn't know before you helped me uncover a blind spot that made me better uh, and a better executive, better with my team, and really kind of understanding things that could ultimately be um, of harm to my company. One of the most obvious blind spots that we oftentimes don't want to recognize, you know, it's, it's hard when a light is shined on you showing you that there's something there that you didn't, that you didn't think was there. Mm. And that's that blind spot. Mm. And I think that in corporate America, just in general, I think we have blind spots that we don't want to be brought out. And when they are brought out, we're able to address them and we're able to become better people because they're brought to our attention. And just a very common, a very obvious one that we've been dealing with nationally for some reason, mm -hmm. I, I don't want to say we, because I'm a black woman, but mm -hmm. 
I think the white America in because of the George Floyd murder has been coming to deal coming to a place of dealing with their blind spots in equity for all people. Mm. And as a black woman, you say, well, I'm always saying, you know, where's the where are the black board members when I'm dealing with or, organizations? And they say, oh, we want to be more inclusive. We want to get more black people to come to the performances. We want this, we want that. And I said, well, first we have to start internally. Where are your black board members? Where are your black staff? Mm -hmm. and, and in larger corporations, when you go to them like a hospital or in any kind of institution, banking institutions, I mean, we could go on and on. They think that they're doing a good job with uh, justice because um, we have one black president or we have one black uh, this or that. Mm -hmm. And the fact of the matter is they're not, and they haven't been. And when we have the incident with George Floyd, it really shined a light on those blind spots. Yes. And I think within the work that we do collectively together in Women in Leadership Vital Voices is that we help each other talk about those blind spots in a way where even if it's uncomfortable, it's not so uncomfortable that you can't have that conversation. And we, as people, we constantly have blind spots when we're not listening or hearing what the other person is saying. Mm -hmm. And so how do you grow from that? And within our structure, we really try to help each other um, be the best that we can be because people see us differently than what we see, mm. the way we see ourselves. Right. I mean, I want to be this really nice person all the time. And the <laughs> fact of the matter is, I'm sure people don't see me that way all the time. And, and then when someone comes to you and point out certain things, it's uncomfortable, but we really try to create a space where even if something's uncomfortable, we can talk about it and we can work it through and then we can get input. I'm hoping that this journey continues. It has been a struggle, but I'm hoping that the journey continues and that we continue to have these aha moments and these awakenings in our lives. And when I think about our Women in Leadership Vital Voices, we want to play a role in that. We constantly are trying to help each of us take ownership for what we don't see in ourselves and others see in us that we need to change. And we do that by providing speakers that come and talk to us and work us through different topics and different issues so that we can become the best that we can be. How do we engage in that conversation, uh, bring about awareness without shutting down the conversation? Right. right. And that is the delicate work. Mm -hmm. um, you know, how do you tell someone that what they said was inappropriate without making them feel as though they should keep their mouth shut the next time. Mm -hmm. And so then the conversation shuts down and no progress is made. Exactly. That's so right. That's so dead on what you said. You have to do it in a way where you don't shut the conversation down because you've made them feel so uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. And that's just in, not just in racism, that's in everything. I, mm -hmm. 
it's just all across the board from just wanting to help a sister or a friend or a loved one out in, in the smallest areas. How do you do that where you don't shut the conversation down, where you make it a growing process? That's the beautiful, beautiful part of our life is that we're constantly learning, we're constantly growing. And the, the irony is that growth really comes with pain. Mm-hmm. I mean, when you just think about in general, when you're a young child and the, you know, the, the little boy that's 12 years old go to his mother and he goes, Mama, my leg is hurting so bad, it's hurting so bad. And you take him to the doctor and the doctor says, it's a growth spurt. As yeah. they're growing and they're getting taller, sometimes there's pain in the body as you're growing, but he's going to get over it in a, in a month, month or so. And when he goes back to school, he's going to be two inches taller. So that there's just in life, when a company, a corporation is making major changes, everyone's complaining and saying, why do we have to go on this new system? It's going to be hard. It's going to fight the old system work. It's a painful process, but it's a growth process. And then once you get over that hurdle, you're grateful for the experience and you become a stronger and more knowledgeable person because of that growth spurt. But it, oftentimes it's uncomfortable. It's, it's uncomfortable. challenging, yeah. but, but we're better for it. Yep. And, and managing it. Uh, during the during that transition, right? So mm-hmm. that you say, I, I I don't really I don't think I really want to grow. This is like not feeling good to me. I don't want to grow. I don't really like it. Okay, I'll just stay where I am. <laughs> you know, the prime the, the good example for me is prior to the pandemic, I would get these invites to go to these meetings and participate on these Zoom meetings or these virtual meetings. And I would always decline. I cannot tell you, I did not participate in one virtual meeting because it just seemed too complicated. <laughs> then this pandemic happened and I was forced to do it. And I am so grateful for the pandemic because I love this virtual world, even though I want to see my friends and I want to get back and mm-hmm. we're getting back, but it, it has been a, a, a growing process for me. I get to see you in New Jersey and I'm in California and we can <laughs> see each other in real time because of this virtual world. This exactly. Related to that, it, it makes me think about the idea around political engagement and, and political engagement traditionally has been viewed as one of those spaces where it's really kind of a no-win situation for, for public companies, for public CEOs. Um, because at this stage, despite what we just talked about, us sort of engaging in conversations that somewhat are uncomfortable, we still are living in a very uh, divided nation. Uh, people taking sides on controversial topics sometimes can instantly alienate half of a company's stakeholders, uh, their investors, their customers, their suppliers. How do you advise uh, many of the corporate women that you are, that are part of of, uh, Women in Leadership Vital Voices um, around this this particular issue? One of the things that I always say, everything starts locally. Mm. When we talk about moving an agenda forward, 
we have to remove part um, politics because po politics is partisanism, the Democrats, the Republicans. And if you're trying to move things forward, you have to have conversations with everyone. Mm -hmm. And so we invite, I don't care what you are in your political persuasion, we invite you to the table to have conversations. Let me back up. Let me start by saying everything we do say, eat, breathe, the technology that we're on right now, all of these decisions are made by politicians. That's just a fact. The air we breathe. We had a president that said, I don't believe in environmental, uh, that you know, things, there's nothing happening with our environment. So our air became more polluted during those years. Mm -hmm. So if people can understand that, mm -hmm. they understand the importance of building relationships. If you focus around what's good for all people, it takes that partisanism out of the equation and we focus on how do we work together to move an agenda forward. And so what we try to do within our Women in Leadership Vital Voices is say, build relationships across the board. And if we right. can look at how we make decisions based on what's good for our companies, what's good for the individuals that work for the companies, and why it's important to build relationships with the elected officials. I don't care if your CEO is a Republican. I don't care if your CEO is a Democrat. And you don't look at them as, oh, that's a Democrat or that's a Republican. It's an issue that's gonna affect my base. It's about what's good for our company. Mm -hmm. And you have to know how to work across the board with people. It's about relationships. And so you remove the partisan from the table and you focus on the policy and you focus on the issue so that you can get a decision that's made in your favor to move your agenda forward that will have a good impact on your company and your clientele that you serve and your investors, et cetera, et cetera. And it doesn't mean that we have to agree with everyone. We just want to understand policy and process so that we can move an agenda forward so that we can have an impact on our communities. It's really about our communities and right. how we have healthy communities and health, having healthy communities. That's healthy individuals. When we talk about crime, when we talk about gun violence, when we talk about a woman's right to choose, when we talk about all these issues, those are policy issues mm -hmm. and it comes to resources. And when you make decisions, Democrats and Republicans have to make decisions collectively together to move the agenda forward. So we're more interested in policy and building healthy relationships. Healthy relationships do not mean that we all have to agree with each other. It means that we have to have a platform where we hear each other. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And finding uh, common ground is so critical to moving the country forward, to moving the uh, corporations forward who are in business to, to help their communities, to, to help their customers. But I think about kind of the, you know, our focus for the podcast and kind of what my, my company does in the CEO arena Yes, It really is around trying to advise in that corporate space. How do you make the right, you know, kinds of decisions? And those mm -hmm. decisions, honestly, are tough ones that require significant, mm -hmm. uh, deep, hard conversations. Like you mentioned the kid who 
is growing, but you don't really want to grow, right? You don't want to go through the pain of growing. Pain of growing. Right, right. And I was reading through some of the websites and people who had talked about you. And the person said that you, you can't love who you are and hate the things that made you who you are. Yeah, hate the journey. Wow. And sometimes that pain that you're going through to become that person who ultimately is that person that really wants to change lives and impact, that sometimes that isn't always the easy road, step A to step B. person who can tell you most about something is someone who's probably had a chance to experience the pain, right? Yes, yes. As opposed to the person who can talk to you in theory about the concepts, right? Mm -hmm. About the academics of it. Yes. But true lessons come through experience. Experience, absolutely. The feeling of it. I can give you advice because not only do I understand intellectually what the rubrics are and all of that, but I have felt it. I have been there. I have gone through it. And so I don't feel psych as well. Yes. So yes, those experiences, the one that you want to talk to, yes, the academic is critical and it's important. But some of the most brilliant people that have really changed lives are the ones that have gone through the experiences in life. And good, bad, different, and ugly, it makes us who we are today. And I'm so grateful for all the experiences that I've gone through. And now that I'm older, when I have challenges, I go, okay, what am I learning from this? Mm. When someone says something about me, I go, good, keep talking about me, keep talking about me. But that came with age and learning and, you know, uh, you know, wisdom sometimes. Sometimes wisdom is given to people very young and sometimes wisdom come with, comes with age. And in my case, it has come with age. Wisdom has come with age. <laughs> yeah. It's nothing, nothing like uh, that real life experience. Um, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to transition just a bit. Um, you also have what I call this legendary conference in oh, Pasadena. Yes, yes. yes. Um, it's SoCal Women Health Conference, right? Well, it's SoCal Women's Conference. We focus on health, man cave, and young women. Right. And so through that conference over the years, I think you started it in 2000. Is that the year? Yeah, yes, actually 2000. It became official in 2000. Actually, two years prior to that, mm-hmm. I did it with the um, First AME Church and the city of Pasadena. And Pac- at that time, it was Pac Bell. Oh, right, right, right. And right. then it became formalized under the leadership of assembly member Carol Liu. Right. I right. was working for Carol Liu. And I went to Carol Lou and I said, can we do this conference under your leadership so that we can have a bigger bang and get more uh, visibility? And that's where it started in 2000. And then um, I just continued it on. So you've actually touched over 32,000 people through this conference yes. uh, every year. Talk about how important this has been to the work that you do and the impact that you want to have? Well, um, the conference was started because, again, everything I do, I do it because I'm interested in people that look like me. I'm interested in the Black community, particularly, you know, I have a focus on women. And women were getting cancer and still are getting cancer. 
Mm. And they were not testing to try to find cures that were just designed for black women. And so I called this woman that was at USC that had breast cancer. And I said, what can I do? I said, I'm not, she was going before Congress and speaking, but she said, what you can do is provide a platform so we could come and educate black women. I will provide doctors from USC if you provide the women. So I said, okay. I went to First AME, I said, um, we're gonna do this, can we partner? And it was yes, and we made up invitations. I went to Pac Bell, said, would you sponsor it? I went to the city of Pasadena. And this conference came about educating black women. And the first one we had was a hundred women. And you would have thought that I walked on waters. They said, how did you get all these women to come out? <laughs> and I said, well, I just invited them. And, you know, of course I had lunch. I had a lovely invitation. I had a beautiful program. And, you know, it was um, about community. It was about engaging the community to be a part of the process. And so from there we went on, as I stated, and um, we made it into a larger conference in 2000 where it was a more official because we had the figurehead of an elected official. Um, but why that is so important? Because I wanted to create a platform for women that would not, I didn't want women coming to a conference just getting information. I mm -hmm. wanted to make it an experience. Mm -hmm. I wanted to make it like other conferences that I went to that you had to pay two and $300 to go to. That many women just don't have those kinds of dollars. Forget about that they may not know that they're happening. Mm. Secondly, they may not have the money. They may have something else that's a more, something that's a priority other than the 300 or $200 of conference. I wanted women that look like me to be able to go a really first class conference and have all the bells and whistles and get all of the information that they needed to get to make their lives a better life, make their life help, healthier, make their family's life healthier. But it wasn't just for them. It was for me. Mm -hmm. It was for me. Everything I do, I do it because I look at what do I want? What do I need? And how can I give myself that and then give it to others as well. And that's what that conference is all about. So it grew from 100 for 2000 to 500 to over 2000 women a year. One year we had 4,000. The convention center said that was way too many people. Can't do that again. <laughs> okay. So we keep it at 2000 mm. and we have the best of the best speakers that come and talk on female related cancer, empowering women, women making decisions, being the leader of your life. That's what it's all about. How do you really control your life and control those decision makers that impact your life? Mm -hmm. Doctors impact your life and you want to control how they manage your life, but you need to know how to talk to them. Right. And so that's one piece. Then we also empower women so that in their corporate world, in their, in their role as a being a parent, being an advocate for their student, that they understand that they have the power to navigate their lives. When they're trying to navigate our society on how do I become more engaged and involved, we create that platform for young women. We help them with being leaders in their various spectrums of their life, the various spheres of their life. We help them to be, be leaders in their lives. We right. help navigate them to sit on boards. And so this conference is a very comprehensive conference with a strong focus on women's health 
and mm -hmm. empowering women. And so we have elected officials that come through and speak. We have top-notch doctors in the medical arena that speak. We have experts that talk about empowering and self-development. We have uh, natural health speakers that come and talk about the natural pathway. And then we also have a little bit of fun and we talk about the beauty, the beauty of keeping yourself looking good and feeling good because mm -hmm. we all wanna look good and we all want to feel good. Right. And taking care of your health, it comes out in how you look. So that's the conference. It's, uh, it's September the 30th this year. It's at the Pasadena Hilton Hotel. It will be uh, a little bit different because we're still being COVID protected and being conscientious of the environment that we're living in. It is a platform that is needed. Yeah, I, I love the conference and I remember the early uh, conferences uh, when I was li actually living. You made it happen. You made it happen. <laughs> living in California. And what's interesting is I was always really captivated by the kinds of medical professionals that were there, particularly in the early stages when you talked a lot around cancer, my mom actually had uh, uterine cancer. Wow. She ultimately um, you know, had a hysterectomy and recovered. But since that time over the last, I, I would say most recently in the last year, year and a half, I've had two of my really close uh, friends, my line sisters uh, who pledged AKA with me, who passed away. Uh, from cancer. Wow. And um, it again reminds me that when we talk to women and people in general, none of us are one dimensional. There is a holistic perspective in our life that is so separate and apart from what we do for a living, our health, all the stuff that we're trying to do for everyone else. If we don't take care of that, we're not able to really as I say, live our calling mm -hmm. or to even, you know, leverage our gifts. And I have appreciated that conference because women who ultimately wouldn't be thinking about things, those types of things that can get in the way of what you think you're supposed to be doing, mm -hmm. um, really have an opportunity to really focus on those kinds of things. It's really, yeah. it's an amazing conference. Yeah, I think I think you're so right with what you said. And I know that we're so busy living life and just doing that sometimes we get on the back burner of our own lives. Mm -hmm. And the most profound uh, remarks that I've gotten from the conference and the evaluations is when I get an email from someone that I know that's a top-notch professional, an attorney or a real estate broker that are extraordinarily successful in their careers. And they send me an email saying, I'm 50 years old and I've never had a mammogram. I'm an attorney mm. at you know the municipality. And I just wanna say thank you because I took advantage of the, of the free mammograms that you had there. Another person sent an email saying, I'm a real estate broker and I hadn't had my mammogram in four years. I went and got it, found out I have cancer. 
Hmm. And those kinds of stories are just so moving because not, again, it's not just for them, it's for me too. Hmm. But when I get those stories, it taps me on the, on the shoulder as well. We have to help each other. And those stories are so moving because we just assume because someone's doing so mm-hmm. great in X, Y, and Z that they're also doing in every aspect of their life. And that's not true. And that's why this conference is so very important. It touches lives, but more importantly, it changes lives. Absolutely. Which gets me to the end of our conversation. One of my favorite parts, and that <laughs> is around quotes. And you're a quote person, and you started the conversation with a quote, but I love quotes because they inspire, um, they move, they send messages um, and change lives actually. So if I know you, you mentioned uh, a quote earlier, but is there any other quote that you'd like to share uh, with us? Uh, I could share probably two Mm-hmm. And one, I don't know, um, I'm not sure who said this quote, but I use it all the time. Live life to the fullest. Laugh as hard as you want to. Kiss as long as you want to. And never apologize for doing anything that made you happy. Wow. You know, I, I just think that is so, sometimes we get so wrapped up in just functioning mm-hmm. that we forget to laugh. And if we forget to kiss the ones we love and hug and kiss them as long as you want to. (laughs) And don't apologize for what is true to your soul. Don't, you don't have to apologize. And I decide that I don't apologize for being authentically concerned about black people. Mm -hmm. I've just said, I'm not gonna, it's who I am. It's what I do. It's what I breathe. But Maya Angelou said something that I think is pretty profound. She said, when you are fair to Black, and I'm not quoting her exactly verbatim, but you can Mm -hmm. find the quote, when you are fair to Black people, when Black people rise, everybody else rise. Everyone else benefit. So you don't have to worry about trying, if if you're Lena and you're Black and you're trying to help a Black woman, guess what? Every other woman is gonna rise. And that's what's happening with Women in Leadership Vital Voices. It's a diverse group of women, even though my interest is Black women, everybody rise together and we help each other. And I think that is so important for us to just be authentic and unapologetic for doing what's right. Do what's right. Absolutely. I love it. I love it. I got a couple there. (laughs) And so, of course, I'm also a big music person, too. I love songs. I think songs. uh, And and I'll I'll give you an out here. I I like songs and movies. So anybody who's dealt with me know that I can find a message in any any movie. So uh, your favorite song and or movie. Okay, so my favorite song is What's Going On by Marvin Gaye. And I, I listen to that all the time. And I, I think that it is a timeless piece of art. Mm-hmm. Years ago, I mean, I was so young when that came out. And here I am, a mature <laughs> woman, and it's still relevant. What is going on? And I just love that song. 
And then I have another song that I like. I tell people, um, smiling faces, smiling faces, beware, they don't always tell the truth. <laughs> <laughs> they made me smiling in your face and stabbing you in the back. I mean, I think of, uh, that's one of my songs that I use when I'm doing consulting work. I said, oh, wow. everyone that smiles at you don't always have the best intent for you. Oh my and God. while they're smiling at you, they may be stabbing you in the back. So that's one of my songs. And one of my favorite movies is, I love old movies. And um, it's The Voyager uh, with um, Betty, Betty Davis. Yeah. Uh -huh. And I love the whole experience of the movie when the movie ends and she's in the room and she had to make a tough decision on being with this man or really having an impact on the life of his child. Uh -huh. And she made the decision to have an impact on the life of his child, as opposed to being with him who she loved. But she was saying you could have so much more and having your daughter in my life and impacting her and making her whole and healthy. Doing that changing that life is more than the love of you of me just being with you because wow. i still will be with you because i will impact her life even though you and i physically won't be together wow and i just love that i love the whole entire experience of the movie but the end of the movie is so impactful um sometimes we have to make tough decisions mm. but we have to look at what the greater good is and the bigger impact on life is and sometimes it may mean that a selfish desire, a selfish desire may not be fulfilled, but the bigger desire of changing the world will be fulfilled. Wow. I love it. <laughs> I love it. I've got to go back. I haven't seen that movie in, in ages. So oh, I watch it every opportunity I can watch oh. it. <laughs> All right. Well, it's been such a pleasure, Lena. This has been so much fun. Thank you. Thank you for this opportunity. Yeah, it's been a pleasure. And I will be, I'll see you next time I'm in LA. <laughs> okay. I can't wait. I can't. Thank you again for joining us today. We would love to share additional tools and strategies that can help you make the best decisions for your career or to build a dynamic and forward-thinking environment. Please visit the services page on our website, therossdoolinggroup.com.